Hi and welcome to Tea with Alice number 9. This week I spoke with the hilarious and talented and legendary comedian Greg Fleet. He also turns out to be a really lovely human being. I've met him a couple of times before but this was the first time we had a chance to talk for a couple of hours actually. Uh, we did a television thing in the morning and then we caught a cab back from Artaman to Bondi together chatting and then we sat in a cafe and I turned on the microphone and we talked then about a few topics up and down, a little bit of controversy, a little bit of non-controversy and just, I thought, a delightful conversation. There is, again, because we were recording in a cafe in Gertrude and Alice in Bondi Beach. If you want to go there, it's beautiful. It has books for sale and tea, which are some of my favourite things in the world. There is ambient noise, so people coming and going, a little bit of tea drinking noise, uh, which I don't mind if you don't mind. Thank you to everyone who has written in. It's been just really lovely to know that somebody is listening and that you guys care about what's going on on the podcast. Uh, I've written a few blogs about what happened on the TV thing if you want to look at alicecomedyfraser.com. Otherwise, uh, just keep listening and you'll hear me and my conversation with Greg Fleet. You're listening to Tea with Alice. Because it's here. Well, I mean, the podcast's called Tea with Alice. I meant to ask you, what is there a theme or is there anything? Uh, We talk about difficult ideas. Right. Uh, Ideas where, like, I guess the thing is that I find with, like, with stand-up or with radio or TV, you can't talk about everything yeah. there's things that are off limits or things that you have I want to talk about I was about to start launching into a theory on that but it's probably best saved for when we're talking oh. are we talking yep we're talking we're officially talking we're officially will talking. this hear us yes what sort of electronic device is this it captures my voice it's magic <laughs> it's, uh, it won't capture your soul though. oh good is good because we probably don't have that much soul left not now not now that we've been on the television do you ever get self-conscious in front of microphones now not usually in front of microphones. I got a bit self-conscious today. Why? Because I, I think I haven't done that for a while, and I also think it's not really my thing. Ah, uh, the snappy. Yeah, the kind of... Oh, it can be. Mm. It's just not... It's not something I would aspire to. Mm. So, yeah, but, but no, not... I don't get... I don't usually get freaked out in front of microphones. I get more freaked out... The only time I really get freaked out at a gig is if A, it just looks like it's going to be really hard, or B... Mm. Someone I know is there from some part of my life, pre-comedy, or, or someone who knows the truth. <laughs> to, yeah, my, if my brother's there, because yeah. I know he can always tell when I'm nervous, yeah. and, you know, that's bad. Yeah. And then the other one is, yeah, like if there's someone who I like or respect in the audience. Yeah. Otherwise, like, I think I have a sort of a, disda- a slight, not, not disdain, but a slight adversarial yeah. attitude to yeah. audiences. Yeah. I don't... You know, I'm like, you will like me because I'll make you like me. Yeah. Whereas if it's somebody who I actually care about. Yeah, there was someone... like flirting with people who you actually care about. Yeah, and in a way, to me, it's an extension of that. There was someone in a gig I did last week. And she came a couple of times, but before anything had sort of built up with us, I found myself being way more interesting and way more, like, referencing odd literature and just all this stuff. In your set. Yeah, totally. And at the expense of many of the jokes just to be more appealing. So I, I was using it as a, an ad, basically. Yeah, I do that too. Me. I've done that. Uh, 
just suddenly feeling like drawing a lot of pictures and just <laughs> going to interesting places yeah. and, oh, that's just me, that's yeah. just what I do. Of course we should go to Canberra and see blue poles. I do it all the time. So the, the point of the podcast is just talking about things that you would never otherwise feel that you could talk about. The kind of things you talk about over tea with friends but not on the radio and not on TV and because you'd be worried about people taking you the wrong way. Like... Um, a friend of mine has a manifesto about how we should treat pedophiles better. Because, right, yeah, I understand that. You know, because yeah. if you create this like mythology where all pedophiles are monsters, then mm. people who have those tendencies don't come forward and they end up... It ends up being hidden. Ends up being hidden yeah. and, and then you can't actually treat it or deal with it in any way. It's just this... Yeah, that's a, it's a really interesting thing. I did a play once years ago called Monsters. It came out of VCA. Mm. It's a writer at VCA, and it was about all of that. It was actually about a particular guy who was a real guy. And so we all play at various points in the play. We were all young men. Mm. At various points in the play, we'd someone would play him, the pedophile guy, and the others would all play kids. Oh, and wow. It was, um, there was nothing particularly graphic in it, I don't think. There was a lot of graphic language and stuff, but no acts as such. But um, it was amazing my attitude toward the whole thing kept changing the whole time. You know, when we do the play, I'd just up and down. Like, I'd be really supportive of those people and what, you know, the way they're treated. And I mean, some of the, like, the drugs and stuff they put them on, just horrific. Like, Depo Provera, this drug that just, they say it makes you not, it lowers the recidivism rate. But it lowers, the people don't, you know, they not only don't have sex with children, they don't get up, they don't do anything, they start growing breasts, their testicles shrink, it's just horrific. It know? turns, yeah. I mean, so, but then arguably that's sort of yeah, well, that's, yeah, absolutely. better than beating the death on their front lawn, as that yeah. um, that British thing happened recently, they beat this guy to death. Um, and was he... He was not a pet. Yeah, see, that's the thing. That's he was that, a mentally disabled person, yeah. so... It's like the death penalty, you know, even if there's one person who gets it, when they realise later they were wrong, then it shouldn't exist. But I think that's the direct result of, like, that that um, beating was the direct result of boxing pedophiles into this monster category. Yeah. So it means that you can't actually clearly see whatever the situation is. But anyway, so that, that kind of thing is... Um, You're on the pedophile hour. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but uh, th- that's what, more what this yeah, podcast yeah. is, just difficult ideas. I did yeah. one a um, couple of weeks ago about how I think maybe we should offer... Refugees hard labour as an option to earn their Australian citizenship rather than waiting in the camps. Well, I think anything's a better option than waiting in the camps. And, I mean, we'd probably be surprised how many people would jump at that opportunity. Yeah. Well, anyway, obviously there's, you know, humanitarian issues. Yeah, like like chain gang. Yeah, exactly. You have to wear strut. Indentured servitude. But um, that's not something that I could ever say anywhere else. It's funny, though, because with... With so much of so much of what I've done work-wise, like I don't really have, I don't think I have any secrets. Like it's it's, it's all been out. It's all been, you know. I've just said it. I remember, you know, there'd be nights where people put on these nights and they go, "It's called the confession, you know, purge night or something," and you can just say anything you want. And I'd I'd go, "Oh yeah," and I think about it and I go, "I already do." Like, I already say everything I want. There's nothing that I feel I can't say. About yourself or about other people? Probably more about myself. You know, there are things I think about other people or whatever that I probably don't say just because I'm chronically polite. Or, or not even chronically polite, I'm deceitful. <laughs> <laughs> do you, um, 
do you think that's because it's better to tell your secrets before someone finds them out? Probably. Is it like a preemptive Yeah, kind of a preemptive strike, totally. It stops someone going, you did this, and you go, well, yeah, everyone knows I did that. Yeah. I've discussed it openly. You know, it's kind of disempowering. I just did, I've got this film coming out that it's really complicated because I, um, I'll show you that there's a one minute promo for it I'll show you in a minute it's very dark it's very I just acted in it but it's one of the darkest things I've ever seen and I did it like two years ago when did I was, you put a review up for it the other day probably not, not a review on Twitter probably a, a, maybe a maybe that promo thing yeah, yeah, one yeah. minute thing just a little sh- like a, an ad for the film yeah but I'd forgotten that I'd done it yeah because I was so fucked when I did it and it's about very damaged people. And um, it uh, it deals with a lot of heavy, heavy issues. And and um, when I was doing it, I was still very much, very much in that kind of junky lifestyle. And there's, bits <laughs> in it, there's one really graphic scene where I'm shooting up into my leg. And it's like, I watched it and I could hardly watch it. It was like... It was so brutal. Yeah. And it's just digging around in this. It's just, and it seems to it seemed to go for about half an hour. It probably goes for like God. thirty seconds. But to me, I was just going, oh. But um, it was really interesting to see. I mean, I, I'm just because of the film. What I was going to say is, I've just had to do interviews for it because it's coming out, and I've sort of got the main role in it. And I just did this really elaborate interview with this woman for The Good Weekend, which I think comes out this weekend. Mm. And it's extremely revealing. But not in the past. I think I've done that stuff. I've done that stuff when I've still been using, trying to somehow cover up or convince people that I'm not. Mm. But this is like... It's better, I think, this time, because it's about... It's kind of looking back on that rather than going, oh, this is gruesome it's kind of talking yeah it's gruesome but with a lot of hope you know and 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 positivity that comes from you know and it's only been you know six months or something but that's longer than i've ever been ever and i know and i'm not trying to convince me but i know something in me shifted yeah and so in the past if i've ever tried to do something like this i'm trying to do it and it's yeah. like oh whereas this just happened and it was great sailing. but um and you know i find daily or virtually daily incredible things happen you know and it's almost karmic like it's amazing the opportunities and the the you know the incredible jobs and even like that film that i'd forgotten i'd done coming out of nowhere and you know yeah. things boosting you, know, you yeah and, and even like you know falling in love or you know just crazy great things happen and it's it's all encouraging but yeah i think that when that thing comes out it'll be pretty it'll be pretty full on i think some people will probably spin out of it well, because, I mean, it's sort of terrible to look back and know that you were kind of playing this character, but you were also... Totally, yeah. And watching the character, I kind of think... I don't know if I sympathise... I think I sympathise with the character. Yeah, I do. But I certainly know I wouldn't want to be that person again. I don't know that I ever wanted to be that person, but I was. Yeah. I think that's another thing that's really good about talking about awful things, because I did... My last show was with about my mum. My dad. What, what, what exactly happened to there? My mum has MS. Right. So okay. she has had since before I was born. Um, and I did this show about a particular period of time. She was obsessed with words and was very, very much a genius and brought me up to love language and would read me poetry as a kid. And then uh, a couple of years ago, she went through a phase where she lost the ability to speak. Oh, God, that's so my first. Fear. 
she went mad and then she started using the wrong words in a sentence and then all of the words in the sentence would be the wrong words and then they weren't words, they were just noises. Did she come out of that? Yes. But at the time we didn't know if she would. Yeah. And it was just this terrible thing where I realised that I spent a lot of my time using words to get around saying things that are important. Yeah. And I wasn't sure if she would ever be able to speak again properly. That's tragedy. Like, I mean, that's something I... That, that's probably one of the only things I fear, is having language taken away. Yeah. Because it's well, the only thing I'm good at. Mentally, that was... Yeah, it was my fear. And so I did this show, and not making fun of my mum, but it was literally uh, talking about the way I use jokes, and I, would have, I had a little stack of jokes, and I'd tell the story, and whenever I choked up about this real horrible yeah, stuff that yeah. was happening, I would reach for a joke. It was almost performance art. I really yeah, enjoyed yeah. it as a show. But my dad asked me why I had felt the need to do it. And he was a little bit taken aback and I think a little bit, not quite upset, but prepared to be upset. He yeah. really didn't know what to think. And I said, you know, it's like, if something awful is happening to you, it's just an awful thing. Yeah. It's just an overwhelming thing and it's... Bad. But if you can articulate it, if you can tell someone about it, if you can turn it into something, then it's you've absolutely. It's it becomes something absolutely. Not I mean, just awfulness. Yeah, and I have a thing now where it, every and it started with I think it started with this that thing that happened to me in Thailand. You know, long story, but I did a show about that. I and saw some, that show. Some really show. tragic things happened in that story, and yeah. it occurred to me. I went, oh this is a really interesting way of dealing with something hideous in my life. So then I just went on a frenzy of just doing shows about shit things that have happened to me, like being a junkie or my father leaving or whatever. And it's like, it's so therapeutic. But also, now when something terrible is happening to me, I can be in the middle of a heartbreaking situation and part of my brain is going, one day, this will be... And it's almost like getting revenge on a bad situation. Yeah, I'll do a comedy show about yeah, this. I can, I can turn you into something. Yeah, and I'll earn money from you. You know, but it's like, it's, but it's respectful too. Like when you said talked about your mother yeah. doing a show about your mother, at no point did I go, oh, she's up there going, and your mum's a bit mental. You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Well, that was course. the thing that I was like, when Dad yeah. had seen the show, I was like, you know, remember, like think about it. There's no point at which I make fun of yeah. mum, or at which she's the butter of the joke. Yeah. It's not the kind of comedy I do anyway, and even if it were, I would never do yeah. it about about her. I think people get very possessive about tragedy. I was talking with a friend the other day, and we were talking about various people that we'd known who killed themselves, one of whom she was particularly close to. And, um, you know, I've you know, talked about talking about that stuff on stage or dealing with it, you know, in a theatrical situation. And it's funny how sometimes people connected to those people, like their family or whatever, will go, no, no, don't, don't do that. We don't mm. want people to know about this part of it. We don't want people to know about this part of the story. And you, if you look at that, it's actually very, it is very selfish because you go, well, why don't you want people to know about that? And what is behind that? Yeah. And what abuse resulted in that behaviour that resulted in that behaviour that resulted in the attempt, you know, this person thinking there was no option but to die. And it's, you know, it's often, people's motivation is often about themselves. Yeah. And so I just figure, even if, you know, I mean, I'm not a mercenary, I'm not going to go just, you know, destroying lives, I hope, but I think anything 
anything that happens to me is my story. Yeah. And if you know, if my if I had a relationship with your mother, if she was my mother, I would you know, even if my her husband didn't particularly like the idea, I'd do the show anyway because I'd go, yeah, but this is my story. You know, you may you know, if you don't want to feature it, I'll leave you out of it. But you can't really control my relationship with this woman. Yeah. You know, that's my thing. It's, I'm not talking about your... I mean, of course I've got to talk a little bit about your relationship, but, you know, the crucial part is just about where she's at and how I fit into that. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I don't really talk about my dad much except for the fact that he was Buddhist and he's oh. this very upright person uh, and that's sometimes difficult in itself to have somebody who's that rigid in his principles because you can never accuse him of hypocrisy. <laughs> Right. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, it's funny that you use the word rigid because as someone who has only a, an idealised version of Buddhism to look at and go, that's obviously the coolest religion. If you're going to be religious, that's the one that's, you know, it's much more open and loose to interpretation. The fact that obviously the high end of anything is very rigid. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I say rigid, I mean just high-minded, high-principled. But even in that, like... We just made a man go away who was going to sit down and relax and he just went, oh, fuck this, I'm not doing it. Awesome, he didn't want to be a guest podcast. <laughs> he thought he was about to be brilliant. Our next guest. Our next guest. The man sitting at the... This is your life. Yeah. No, it's, it's like, um, so for example, anger is not a particularly good emotion and mm. in Buddhism it's not. So can you imagine somebody who very, very rarely, if ever, gets angry and you're angry? So it's all contained. Yeah. It makes you seem foolish. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> or like uh, a friend of mine died, um, and I he was drunk and walked out on the road in front of a taxi, and um, I was came home. I was crying and crying and crying, and Dad said, "Well, you know, all life leads to this." That was not what I wanted to hear no, at that time. Even if that is the truth, it's no less upsetting. No, at that time, that was not. But because he has this very strong yeah. idea of of his of what's right, uh, he doesn't really deviate from that. And that said, he's a super compassionate and excellent person. Yeah, yeah I'm sure he's not. But I'm sure he's not a nut. There's not many Nazi Buddhists. <laughs> what about your parents? Get on well? Do I? No, oh, it's, it's very. My father is not. He's in America. Oh. And he had a, it was a very long, complex story, but he basically he was a very charming man. And we moved here from America when I was a kid because he had a job at, he worked for Ford. You're an American? Yeah. It's oh, a dark secret. That is a dark secret. Yeah. I I've still am too. Really? Yep. But, um, so he, because he was very charming, he kind of seduced my mother. I think he was from a pretty poorish background and she was from quite a wealthy one and um, they came out here you know, they had kids in America came out here and they had another child but um, he just fucked everybody that she knew and all his mates wives he's like if, he, if there's any kind of history of addiction in my family it's, it's just he's sexual you know he's probably like a sex addict I don't know he just fucked everyone and, uh, and then at one point I don't know, it was some business thing and his relationship and everything was just a bit shit. Mm. So he faked his own death and screamed. No. Yeah, totally. You're joking. No, no. That's true. I that's did a show about it. Holy. But, um, wow. Yeah, and split. And so, 
I've never had any hatred for him. I've never had. I don't know why. I mean, some people would, but I've never. I sort of understood it to some degree. I'm kind of going to look. I can. I know what it's like to wake up and look around and go. Let's got to get out. Yeah. You know, it's not recommended behaviour. And you know, I, I'm more upset about maybe my younger sister and stuff like that. But you know, he did what he did, and that was just how I grew up. It was normal. It was, I didn't have an ideal upbringing once, and then the second time around, go, oh, this sucks compared to the first time. Like it's just what you know. Yeah. So, so there's that, and then my mother's obviously nuts. She would have been hard to live with, but she kind of brought us up. She's very loving and very supportive, and you know, backed us and stuff. But also quite mad. So, I was taught to behave in ways that are thoroughly unacceptable, like as far as relationships go and arguments and the things I would say to people because that I thought were normal. Like, what, how do your arguments go? Well, they don't anymore. I mean, yeah, I don't know how they go now. They'd probably be pretty rational. But they used to go, like, you'd say, oh, you're, you know, you didn't do the dishes. And I'd go, what are you talking about? And you go, you didn't do the dishes. And I'd go, well, you're a fucking idiot. And then you'd go, you'd say something back to me. And then I would just, and this is something I learned from her, I would go to the highest point immediately, like the most hurtful thing I knew about you. Really? Yeah, totally. That's and hilarious. I know, it's mad. There's a sketch in that, surely. <laughs> Probably, <laughs> just, yeah. You know. There's something going, what's the time? Your fucking sister yeah, yeah, jumped yeah. off a bridge, you know, whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, I've yeah. said things. You like drove that, your mum to suicide. Yeah, I've literally said things like that or worse. Uh, there's two things I've said that I will never forgive myself for. But um, it was, it took me years. It probably wasn't until like 10 years ago, and I'm 50. It wasn't until about 10 years ago that I went, this has to stop. Like, I'd seen enough people shut down, literally shut down in the middle of a... And the way it was with my mother and I, we'd say, like, horrific things to each other, and then 10 minutes later, it'd be like, do you want a coffee? Oh, yeah, cool. Because huh. it'd be like purging it all. Yeah. So I thought that was normal. So I'd be in a relationship with someone, we'd have a minor argument, and I'd, you know, say something off the scale. And sometimes I literally saw the person just close down, and like, they couldn't comprehend of someone saying that to them. Mm. And, you know, it'd be the end. It'd be the end, pretty much the end of the relationship. Yeah, there's been moments like that. I mean, I'm sort of exactly the opposite. In my family, arguments go for about two weeks. Right. Because uh, everyone's very reasoned. So mm-hmm. you walk in and you say, this is the thing that I have to say. And then the other person says, all right. And then right. they go away. And then they come back the next day and say, I've thought about what you've said. Right. And this is what I have to say. Nah, just tell them. So, just go for that. Yeah. No, don't. It's I just, horrible. It's, I can't, so I can't do that. And then... Um, the first time that I had this sort of situation where I was in an argument and I was like, all right, and walked away. And he was like, don't walk away from me. That's yeah. disrespectful. You come yeah. back here and finish this. Come I was back like, and abuse me. I realised I actually have no anger management skills yeah. at all because I don't get angry. So when I do get angry, I'm like slamming my hand into a tree. Like I just, yeah. I can't, I don't actually have... Like, I can not get angry. Very, I'm very good at not getting angry. But if you force me to a point where I get angry, I have none of the skills. And you don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what... You could get a bit stabby. <laughs> it's kind of hot. But, yeah, no. <laughs> but that's interesting because it's basically the same problem, just from different... Different angles. Different angles, but it's, it's an inability... It's, it's, it's an inability to fight properly. Yeah. And, you know, it is part of life, disagreeing with people. You know, but yeah. there's... There is a middle ground, you know, and I think I've found it. I think I've found it now. I mean, every now and then I find, and it's frightening, every now and then I feel this thing. I get a little bit like, you know, there's that quote in some movie, some people just want to watch everything burn, or some people just want to watch the world burn. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I get a little bit like that. Like, and, and it doesn't, I don't do it, but I feel it. 
coming, and I go, no, 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 that's not, you know. Or maybe later on I'll, I'll somehow let it out, not in a violent way, but I'll just let it, maybe when I'm by myself, so I'll let it out, because it's, it's not something I want anyone to particularly witness anymore, and it's, I think it, part of it was also that thing I said about being left or, or whatever, where you just go, if I destroy this, yeah. then it's my choice. let me prove prove that I'm unlovable yeah, yeah. like overcome this barrier I do that a lot uh, of just like if somebody's interested in me just making it so freaking hard uh, because you know I don't mm. know some ridiculous proving something if you get yeah. over all these hurdles then yeah. maybe I'll believe that you love yeah. me otherwise I don't believe it yeah yeah I'm, I'm sort of although the, the other thing I do is just come on super strong and super like interesting and fun and Gentle and, and, and attentive, and you know yeah, all yeah. that stuff. And See, I wouldn't believe that. Wouldn't you? I, that would trigger my like. I reckon I could make you believe it after. Like, I mean, I'm not talking like within two hours. I'm talking a couple of yeah, days, yeah, yeah. and then people start going, "Well, you really are like this," which I am like. Yeah. So it's not like I'm pretending, but but then, like I was talking to you before, it's kind of like I like the fact that people resist it, mm. and then you know when they eventually relax into it, it's almost like the worst trick you've ever played on someone because sometimes. They finally let their defences down and go, all right, you know, this is what I want to do. And then you I go, say, like, what do I want to do? Like, I've never, all I've been doing oh, is trying to get, trying to make it work. And you've then, been completely externally focused yeah, yeah, on them and you haven't looked absolutely. at how you feel about it. Yeah. Wow. And sometimes I feel about it the same way they Sometimes it's like, great, let's, let's do this. But uh, other times even the concept of thinking about it terrifies me or I go, I'm almost afraid of, it's like I second guess myself. I go, God, what if I don't want this? Oh, then I shouldn't do it just in case I don't want it. And you go, well, but, and then later on I'll go, oh, I actually really did want that. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) That is amazing how that's a mind fuck. I know. It doesn't always happen like that. I mean, you know, more often than I just get into it and look, it's so, it it has been until recently Mm. so rare. You know, it's been patches of my life, like maybe, you know, a few years here in a relationship and then five years later another relationship you know for a couple of years and so it's not it's not something I've done end to end you know because of my other hobbies that I had <laughs> hobbies yes that's interesting you've got a lot of uh, ships in bottles have you yes lots of uh, lots of books on brave women through history <laughs> <laughs> I like I like brave women through history Audrey Hepburn yeah, great name no. for show Brave Women Through History. Greek Fleet, Brave Women Through History. Yeah, it's and, a kind then, of show that only a guy could do, because if a woman did it, you did, you're just limiting your audience to... If I did it, it would be Greek Fleet, Brave Women Through History, and then in brackets, heroin. Get it? And then underline, <laughs> get it? Lots of question marks. Brave Women who, Through History, who dated me. <laughs> uh, do you um, try to... Do you have a demographic? No. No. I don't think so. Just I mean, be the best you you can be. Yeah, and it, it <laughs> seems to attract... It's certainly attracting more people now than ever before. And it seems to be quite across the board, like pretty random from young people to old people, and that's fine, that's good. But you have and, a podcast and stuff now, don't you? Yeah, we're pretty slack with the podcast, but we do we do a lot of sketches. We kept trying to put one up a week generally, and oh. we often have guests in them. You should do one one time. I'd love to, yeah. We've got, like, John Safran and... You know, Rove and people like that. Just and it's just good to have different people in the podcast. Um, do you know, you know Kate Holden? 
I know the ne- Yes. Yeah. I know her from when I was a teenager at really? school and I had a live journal. Uh, like, you know, a blog, like, yeah. all, like teeny angsty kind yeah, of poetry awesome. thing. And she had one as well. And then we used to like write and I liked her stuff and she liked my stuff and then she was writing her book. Uh-huh. And then, uh, yeah, she's really lovely. And then we actually met up for real when I was like 17 and it was very strange because she was... She'd be older than she me. Was she was a fair bit older yeah, than yeah. me and she'd already had this kind of life and life. I was super like sheltered because I was sheltered by virtue of like I had to look after mum so yeah. I never went out and did party stuff. I was yeah. always like this quite... Uh, but then, you know, obviously I was not... Um, merely minded because you're dealing with a lot of kind of physical reality i found her really like lovely and interesting and cool chick how do you know her well i don't really i think i've met her once but she's i'm doing an interview with her on friday for some to promote this dark film and uh when i get back to melbourne on friday i'm there for like two days so we're doing this interview but yeah i mean she sounds kate holden the one who wrote in my skin Yeah. yeah Yeah. Yeah, so... Say hello to I her for me. To, yeah, well, I don't definitely. know if she'll remember me, but... Well, I'll, I'll give her pointers. But, yeah, I just wanted to make sure it wasn't... Because I've just done that turgid... It wasn't turgid, it was actually interesting, but this long, you know, thing for the good weekend. I didn't want it to be that again. Yeah. So, if anything... And I hopefully she'll go with this because, with, because of her past... Rather than just comparing horror stories and, you know, going, oh, I hit up in that toilet, oh, yeah, I fucking really go for cash. And, you know, just like, we can just talk about... I'd really like to talk about the awkwardness and the romance and the joy of coming back to life and, like, you know, just first experiences again when you've stopped doing that. And, you know, like, there was a period of time where I felt I really did feel like a baby giraffe. Like, I was walking around just going, oh, God. How do I deal with any emotional feeling? But it was great. It was always good. It was at no point in the last six months have I gone, like, oh, I can't do this. It's always just been, wow, bring it on more, more, more. And, you know, the first time, even things like, you know, the first time you sleep with someone or any of that stuff, you know, how... It's ultimately incredible, but, you know, you kind of think, oh, God, I'm going to be really awkward or I'm I'm not going to know what to do. Yeah. But, um... It's yeah. like um, they say when you come out, it's like you automatically go back to being 12. Right. Emotionally, yeah. Yeah. if you have been, you know, in the closet or pretending yeah. to yourself even, yeah. and then you're like 25 or 30, yeah. or if you come out late, it, emotionally you're in the same place as you would be in year 7 or 8 when you're just like getting crushes on people and you don't know how to how to be yeah. or how to feel and, like, that kind of thing. No, maybe. I totally get that. Because they say the same thing about drug addiction, is that when you stop, you revert back to the emotional age you were when you started. Wow. And I think that's why, and I don't think I'm being a wanker saying this, but I think that's why people often assume I'm younger than I am. And I'm also, I'm very juvenile. Like, I act, I hang around with people, like, a lot of my comedy friends now are, like, in their 20s. Yeah. And I hang around with them, and I forget that I'm as old as their parents. I literally forget. It takes every now and then I have to remind myself that I'm not... Not that age. You know, I'm, but I don't, I don't feel like I'm in my early 20s, but I literally feel like I'm in my early 30s. Yeah. See, I feel always... I, I feel like I look like whoever I'm talking to. Oh, I, Whenever I stop talking to someone and I see myself in the mirror, I'm like, I get confused and kind of, oh, that's, that's what I look like. I, I just... I don't know why that is, but... I used to do that with acting things. I used to... If I... You know, I was playing a role or doing an audition or something, especially, if, you know, early on when I'd just attempt, you know, auditions that were like Cockney or whatever. 
I'd, I'd pick a person in my head and go, that's who I look like. Like, I remember doing some, you know, English thing for an audition for NIDA, and I just thought, I, I look like Michael Caine. You know, and I wasn't and even talking like Michael Caine. embodied that kind of... Well, probably not. I don't think anyone else would have gone, wow, he's acting like Michael Caine, but it was enough for me to go, I don't feel awkward because I think I'm this guy, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, for me on stage that's wearing boots or something so Absolutely. I feel tough I just did that in this film we did in, just finished in Canberra the zombie movie there was one day like we were playing tradesmen so we're mm. in like high beers and slouching around and being you know laid back Aussie kind of guys and there was one day where I'd left my boots somewhere and I found and, and this is such an actory wank thing when I'd read other people when I'd read people talking about this I'd think oh get real but they said, oh, but we're going to do this scene. I said, yeah, but so-and-so's gone to get the boots. And they went, oh, look, just wear your... It's only from here up, so just wear your normal shoes. And I just went, no, nah. I'm not doing it. So I'm not <laughs> doing it because it totally changes my physicality, wearing those boots, because I don't usually wear boots like that, and it makes me feel... It makes you much tougher. more alpha male. Yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. For me, that's like absolutely. For me, it used to. I used to wonder why I felt better with the banjo on stage than yeah. not. And it's just because it opens up your body and your shoulders, yeah. and you're standing like that. Yeah. And then I realised I could do that without yeah. actually having the instrument on well, that's stage. That's a great. With me. That must have been a great moment. But yeah, I didn't that. know why I felt so much more confident with the banjo, even if I hardly play it at all. Just having it there and changed my whole no, the way I, I, I stood. That must have been a great moment when you went. I can stand like that. Without yeah. It. But I think, I reckon also, and this is something I don't know about, but I reckon for a woman, there's so many complexities anyway, but I think even being able to stand, you know, having, having tits or whatever, and being able to stand openly, not kind of covering yourself. Yeah. You know, because men are salacious and, you know, and, but to be, to get to a point of comfort with yourself, and go, this is me, this is who I am, and it's, you know, it's good. Yeah. You're awesome. I am. Finger guns. Yeah. And it's, it's, that's, I think that's part of it. Is in the, I think that's a real key moment in any performer, not only comedians, but performers' life when you get to that point of being on stage and truly being relaxed. Yeah. yeah it's a good thing. Yeah, it's interesting. But going back to the age thing, another thing that is um, retards you, I guess, my granny was a Holocaust survivor. Oh, God. Your family's just full of joy. Yeah, so my what father's mother, on? which is probably why he became Buddhist, there's that. There's a fine tradition of Jews whose parents survived the Holocaust turning to Buddhism. Is because, really? Yeah, well, how can you believe in God? Well, exactly. You don't have any relatives, yeah. <laughs> you know? God cannot be omnipresent, omnibenevolent, yeah. and omniscient. Otherwise, how could he have let that happen? So then yeah. they become truth seekers, and a lot of them ended up in that kind of 70s and 80s. All that, they were all wandering around in the, That's India. really interesting. I've never thought about that before. That's really interesting. But my granny was emotionally, in many ways, 16. Right. Because that was when it all went down. I imagine it. I mean, I'm sure you have imagined it, but, you know, for me... I can't. I'm actually doing a song in this show, this new show called Big Jew. And it's this, it's a construct, but my grandfather was, by remarriage, was a Jewish guy who was in the American army and went into the camps to liberate the camps. Wow. And they went in thinking everyone was just going to be, oh, yeah, the Americans are here. And they went in and everyone's like either dead or just fucking destroyed. Just completely starved. Yeah. Apathetic. So they were a bit like, oh, but I, you know, I think for him being Jewish too, it must have been doubly just shit. Horrible, just horrible. So I talk about that, and then I, I've actually, I shouldn't probably say this, but I've, I've constructed 
this thing where he used to tell me stories about this sort of Jewish avenging angel kind of dude in World 2 who was just really tough. He just went around smashing Nazis and, and he called him Big Jew. So we'd, he'd tell me stories about him and I'd be like, oh, tell me more about Big Jew. And he, he would. And, he'd, you know, and I say he, he talked to me, he explained to me about what, which he did, about, you know, who Jews were and what. And he, he has a bit of a... He was great because he had no problem with Germans. He had a real problem with Nazis. But he loved German culture and German people and all that. And he, he wasn't like a big Israel guy. He was pretty rational in yeah. the middle. But so I said, and then as I got older, I started telling him stories about Big Jew. And then at some point I go, and then when he died, I decided it should be a musical. <laughs> and so I just do the song. And it's kind of like a Johnny Cash song, just about this awesome dude who just goes around punching out. Punching and he's a bit Nazis. mythical. Yeah. I like that. That's like Golden Age kind of comic yeah, yeah, books. Yeah. That when, they, when you could yeah. just have the baddie be a Nazi and have Superman punch him. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's so good. But it's a weird, it's a weird, I, I, the first few times I did it, I wrote it one day and I read it to my ex, my, the mother of my daughter, and she thought it was awesome, she thought it was really funny, but then the first few times I did it on stage in Perth for this fringe, I really undersold it, and it made it seem dodgy, and like yeah. it's one of the things you've just got to commit to it and go, just this is a great story, and rather than go, oh no, I'm not Jewish, so I'm sort of being a bit, oh. I had a Jewish punchline and I realised I couldn't tell it until I'd mentioned that I have Jewish blood, right, right. because apparently I don't look at I think yeah. I look at because I've got the nose and stuff, but uh, yeah, but like, yeah. I found with any any kind of even more so with other stuff there was a sketch we did years ago it was a really funny sketch about war movies it was called Cliche Squad so it was just these guys just acting out every cliche from war movies and and one of them was the kind of racism thing where there was a guy in the unit from a white guy from the deep south and there was a black guy and they hated each other and the white guy was pretty like I call it nigger and stuff and it was full on it was like you know in the sketch but and then in the end they'd one of them saved the other one's life and they would embrace and go, you've, you've reversed my racialistic attitudes making me see that old man and brothers and then hug yeah. and then they go, let's go kill some gooks. And it's like, oh. But the t- there were times early on where there'd be someone, I'd see some black person in the audience and instead of just hammering it the way I should, like, you fucking nigger, like that, I'd sort of go, you goddamn African-American. And I'd just wimp out and it made it sound 20 times more racist. Yeah. It's like if you just go hard, people go, it's comedy, I get it. Yeah. When you try and, it's like you're trying to soften the blow or, or think for them and change it. Well, you're, it just seems you're sort of admitting that, yeah, that it's you're not, uh, something, that you're not allowed to say it or that you shouldn't yeah. be saying it. And then once yeah. you admit that, then. But, it, yeah. it, but, you but the sketch wouldn't work if I didn't say it. Anytime I didn't say it, it kind of didn't make sense because the whole thing is this guy's so such a hick and so yeah. he doesn't even think it's a rude word he's just going that's what you are yeah so if i tried dressing it up and making it a bit more and invariably when it, when we did it right which was virtually every time other than the first few times if there were black people in the audience they'd come up going man that was fucking they love that I bit it. yeah because it was you know, i used to have a closer of a joke that was a, a gay punchline and I ended up being, like, when I was in New York, super popular with kind of West Village lesbians, kind of fan club. You can't awesome. go wrong with a gay following. It was so fun. It was really <laughs> awesome. But um, my granny used to take home prostitutes. Uh, hot granny. Hot granny. No, not, not uh, because when she was 14, her teacher was arrested. And she threw a slate at the... She got up on her desk and threw a slate at the Arrowkreutzer, the secret police, and they threw her in jail overnight. And uh, the prostitutes who were in the jail oh, right, looked right. after her. Okay. And so I guess they call them sex workers now. But 
she uh, used to go and just take him home, give him a meal and somewhere to sleep. And then my dad and my uncle in the 80s were like, you can't do that anymore because they're on drugs and they might, it's not safe. But uh, she was... Well, what was the country? She was Hungarian right, Jewish. Okay. Good old Hungary. Murdering Jews since 1938. But, um, was, it, was it like uh, sympathisers in Hungary or was it German, like, was it Nazis? Or was it Nazis? Sim- you know, like there's that weird... There's that terrible thing in war where, you know, you, the oppressor comes in and then a and then lot of people go, well, I'll just over. do I'll do what they want because they're in charge. Well, my grandmother's sister was married to a Christian judge and he, according to my granny, just handed her over or didn't stand up for her. Did he, What happened to him? He when was fine. But see, often, you know, with those people, then they think that, you know, they think, oh, well, I'm on the right side now and then when it turns and the, you know, the good guys win, then a lot of those people get put up against the wall. Yeah, know? I don't know what happened to him, right. actually. I think uh, after my, my grandma's sister was killed, um, so I don't know. For being, he handed her over and she got killed? Yeah. yeah sweetheart. Taken to Auschwitz. That's kind of worse than the way I argue. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't do the washing up. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to call the arrow Totally going. Like, the crites are on their way. It's terrible. Uh, no, I don't know. The, that thing... Like, uh, you know, just the people who would turn on you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and what about weird countries like... Well, not weird countries, but weird situations like Cambodia where they start to educate children in such a way that the children put their parents in. Yeah. Imagine living with that later when you realised it was all bullshit. Because well, a lot of them do now. Nazi maths problems where it's like, if one disabled person costs the state X amount, how much does... Wow. That's pretty intense. You know, how much do 10 disabled people cost the state? It was written into their right. school maths, these kind of just subtle brainwashing. Yeah, I've got a friend who... She's someone I used to go out with. She's lovely. She's got problems, but... Um, Don't we all? Yeah. But she has this thing, and she's an otherwise very rational, left-leaning, you know, pretty standard kind of person that we would know or whatever. Uh, she's got this thing about disabled, physically and mentally disabled people that she just says they should be put down at birth. And it's like, it's so weird to hear her say it. And she's committed to it. And, you know, I've tried talking her out of it. She's like, no, that's what I believed. And, uh, and in every other way, she's, you know, she's, she's very accepting about the races. She's very accepting of sexuality, you know, whatever. This is this one... One thing, is it because they cost the state money or what's her I logic? Guess, I guess, yeah, it's to do with money and time. And I think she must think that um, she hasn't got children, but I think she kind of thinks that it would save the parents a lot of grief if that happened, you know, like, if it was I just stopped. it would save your parents a lot of grief. I don't think so, either, having had a child. I mean, even if my child was... It would be hard. I've seen an ex-girlfriend of mine's got a, a Down syndrome kid, and it's really hard, but I, she, wouldn't, she wouldn't want to not have that child. Yeah, and I mean, I've, I've read, I read a really interesting article by a guy who has Down syndrome who's a, an advocate, and he writes with his father. His father helps him articulate yeah. his feelings, and he, he said, you know, it's hard to live in a world where everyone's moving faster than you, yeah. but it's not that I'm stupid, I'm just slow. Yeah. And I feel, you know, like if you're in a room with people, like when I was in Cambridge, you're in rooms with people who outclass you mentally ten times. They're these giants, intellectual giants, and you just can't keep up. And that's 
you don't feel subhuman. Yeah. You feel intimidated and yeah. overwhelmed, but you're not less of a person. No. no. Or when you're tired or hungover and you're not functioning at your full capacity, you're not yeah. less human because you're not yeah. right on the cutting edge of being able to function with everybody else. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's weird. It's just a very strange little quirk of her personality. I mean, I'd almost think if that was me, if I really did think that, I'd probably keep it quiet. <laughs> like, but yeah. I guess it's admirable that she doesn't. I guess if that's what she honestly believes, then I think it's misinformed, and I, I think it's kind of naive to think that. But uh, and that's being polite about it. But if, it's kind of at least she, she wears owns it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I'd keep it very quiet. Yeah, but if you felt you needed to keep it quiet, then you probably wouldn't be... Yeah, yeah. You, It's the kind of belief that you wouldn't actually hold. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't hold it anyway. I mean, no, you know, I think it would be horrific to have a you know, severely disabled child. It would be hell. Yeah. But, you know, you'd still, you'd still love the child and you'd go with it. I'm about to run out of battery. All right. So, should... Uh, Wrap this up. Yep. But you're plugging things. This will go up tomorrow. Oh, really? Yes. Um, um, I don't really. You have this thing coming out in the good weekend. This yeah, weekend, you have that. your film. You have your podcast, Rush, Rusty Fragment. Yeah, and you know, I mean, you can go to Rusty Fragment on YouTube. Rusty Fragment. I don't know. dot com or Rusty Fragment Just YouTube on YouTube. Yeah. Search bar. Rusty yeah. Fragment. Great and there's Fleet, sketches there. Sam Peterson. Yeah. That's fun, and soon you'll do, very one. Funny. you'll do one with us, and it'll be the best one. I will. Keep an eye out for that. And, yeah, and festivals. Go and see. Don't worry about dates. Just go to a festival. I'll be there. Buy me a beer, see the show. Yeah, I'll do that. All right. Are you do- you're doing I Melbourne? Am. I'm you? doing Melbourne and Canberra and Sydney. Great. I just was in Canberra. It's nice. I like Canberra. A lot of people think it's freaky, but I reckon most of them haven't been there. I like it too. It's very clean. It is, and I guess. And it's a good setting for a zombie movie. Yeah, and I guess for me, I was busy all the time, so it wasn't. I wasn't sitting around going, "I'm bored here." I was always really busy. So, and then at night, I just go out and eat copious amounts of food at good restaurants. Incredible Burmese curry house there. Oh, there's so many good places to eat there. <laughs>